electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I am Brian Sullivan, and tonight, Ron DeSantis sees support slipping as his fight against Disney may have backfired, scaring off some top Wall Street donors. Meantime, gas lines growing in parts of Florida. We'll talk about the shortage and the gas buying panic in parts of the Sunshine State. Apple betting big on India. But can that country really reduce our addiction to China? Whatever happened to Watson? IBM's all-powerful supercomputer is big blue, seeing red over AI. And get paid by Facebook? We'll tell you why Zuck and Co. may owe you some money. Plus, a late-breaking story from the Times, the congressman who cashed out right before the banking crisis hit. We'll tell you who it is and what he did. So get ready to friend us and belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. All right, you can see from the snazzy graphic, let's kick off tonight with a news alert. Elon Musk just wrapping up Tesla's earnings call last hour. It all comes as shares of Tesla tumbling. They cut their car prices yet again. The EV price war heating up. The market maybe didn't like it. Phil Abo has more on what we heard on that call. Phil. And Brian, the thing that stands out from this call is that Elon Musk was asked repeatedly by analysts about the pricing strategy and what we might see from margins in the future, because ultimately that's what's driving the stock lower right now. It's what's happening to their uh, operating margins, their gross auto margins, which are now under 20 percent in the latest quarter. Here's what Musk had to say about the broader economy. And then we'll talk a little bit more about what's happening in his opinion in terms of pricing and margins. The current macro environment uh, remains uncertain. Uh, I don't think I'm telling anyone they, any, anything people don't already know, um, especially with large purchases such as cars. And uh, while we reduced prices considerably in early Q1, um, it, it's worth noting that our operating margin remains among the best in the industry. He's right. They do have the best margins within the auto industry, but the margins are falling. Brian, a year ago in Q1, the Automotive gross margins were over 29%. Now they're under 20% for the first quarter of this year, largely because of the price cuts that we've seen both in China and here, and also to an extent in Europe as well. He was asked, as I said, repeatedly about the pricing strategy and about margins being hit. Here's what he had to say in terms of how they approach pricing. Approach pricing. We do believe we're like laying the groundwork here, uh, and then it's better to ship uh, a large number of cars at a lower margin and subsequently um, uh, harvest that margin in the future as uh, we perfect autonomy. All right. So you know what he's saying here? We may be able to sell vehicles at a lower margin. 
He even said we could sell vehicles for no profit at all, but he believes they would be profitable in the future because of software that would allow the vehicles to be autonomous, increasing the value of that vehicle. In terms of the overall economy, Brian, Elon Musk had this to say in terms of how stormy it is right now and when the weather might clear. This is my guess. I'm, it's just pure speculation. Uh, stormy weather for about 12 months and, and then provided there are not no major geopolitical wild cards that, that, that show up, um, that, that is, things start getting sunny around spring next year. And repeatedly, he said that interest rates should come down. If interest rates came down, it would make things more affordable. It would improve the economy. That's not a new argument from Elon Musk or from other business leaders. We've heard this before. You lower the interest rates, it's better for us and yeah. for the economy overall. I will be interested, Brian, to see what happens with this stock over the next couple of days because the pricing pressure remains. And that doesn't mean that we're going to see further price cuts. I'm not predicting that, but it's not going away anytime soon. And the pressure on the margins, it's there. It is real. Well, it feels like he knows the, the best offense is a good offense, Phil. I mean, nobody else seems to be able to make any money selling electric cars. I mean, he's the only one that's able to do it. And he is. Do you think there's a yep. some sort of an idea from Elon Musk's perspective is, you know what? I got Rivian on the run. I got Ford and GM on the run. I got everybody else on the run. Let me just kind of give them a finishing blow right now by cutting prices, make them eat more losses and win more market share. He was asked that question and he said, look, we're not in the business of driving others out. But look, all business leaders want to make sure that their business is as strong as possible. And if the competitors suffer a blow or two along the way, or if they're driven out of business, so be it. They are not in the business of making everybody being altruistic and having competitors do well at the same time. Mm. The, the bottom line is this, though, Brian, when you take a look at what's happening with their margins, this stock is under pressure because people are not sure how much lower the margins are going to go. Right now, they're at 19.3%. Does it go down to 18%, 17%, 16%? Where is the bottom, so to speak? Yeah. And there's no way of predicting that at this point, Brian, because of the price cuts that we're seeing around the world, particularly in China. Well, maybe we'll find out right now. Phil LeBeau, really appreciate that. Let's talk more about this. I mean, folks, it's not just a Tesla story. This is like maybe the future of EVs over the next few years kind of story. Let's bring in founder and CEO of GLJ Research, Gordon Johnson, and Futures Fund Managing Partner, Gary Black. Gary, I'm going to start with you. I mean, this feels like classic Musk right here. I can make money selling my cars. You're losing billions selling your cars. I'm just going to grab market share. But that's very different than the stock price, is it not? The market and the stock market are different things, I think. Well, the investors didn't like the gross margin number. And you know, when you look at a, a sub-20 gross margin and the street was looking for 21, and to Phil's point, you didn't get much confidence that going out the rest of the year, you were going to have any improvement in the margin. And as you, you pointed out, you know, they're going for market share. That's, that's why the stock is going down. And I think, you know, we've got to get some clarity about how low is the gross margin going to be, because we've already seen two new price cuts since the end of the first quarter. You saw a price cut in China. You saw a price cut last night in the U.S. It was worth about a billion dollars. And so when you factor that in, you're probably at 16, 17 percent gross margins, which means analysts are going to take their estimates down again. And that's what's driving the stock price down after yeah. hours. I kind of feel like, Gordon, it's like the iPhone model, because kind of when you're in the Tesla halo I'm not saying you're stuck there, but you kind of get in that cult of Tesla with the superchargers mm. and everything else. 
And do you think there's part of this Musk is saying, you know what? Like I said, nobody else can make money selling EVs. We're being forced to try to move to money losing vehicles for Detroit, which, by the way, Detroit's in big trouble on that potentially. But what do you think Musk's strategy is? Listen, I don't think he's cutting prices to make the cars more affordable. You're talking about a company whose backlog peaked in January, a company who for the past four quarters, a record straight four quarters, has produced more cars than they've sold. A company who, despite massive inventory exiting Q1, just engaged in massive price cuts. Listen, this is a company valued for hyper growth. If you take their Q1 earnings, gap earnings of 72 cents, annualize that, that's $2.88. This is a company trading at 62 times earnings, whereas the industry trades at seven times. Let me give you some stats. In Q1, their gap EPS was down 32% quarter over quarter, 24% year over year. Their operating income was down 32% quarter over quarter, 26% year over year. This is a company that is no longer growing. On the last earnings call, the CFO said our automotive gross margins, X credits will never go below 20%. On this call, he wouldn't even answer the question. This is a company that's being destroyed, in our view, by the competition. They've reached peak demand. Uh, they what do you mean, Gordon? Gordon, they Gordon. can't sell. And they're being, the they're being what do you mean destroyed by the competition? <laughs> GMC, let me, let me General that. Motors so, sold two electric Hummers last quarter. Two. There's a bunch of 400 and 500 mile F-150 Lightnings up for sale on Cars.com. I can only believe because people are returning them. What do you mean? destroyed by the market who who's winning yeah yeah so let me explain so their market share in china has dropped from a peak of roughly 35 percent to roughly 10 percent their market share in europe has went from a peak of 40 percent to roughly 10 percent their market share in the u.s went from a peak of 80 percent to now roughly 50 percent it's not gm that's hitting them in the u.s it's 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 the bolt it's it's ford it's it's the vw and GM is now coming with a plethora of models that have equal or better real world range, better interior, and superior service. And, and when you, we've seen what happens when the competition comes in is yeah. Tesla seeds significant market share. One other thing you got to keep in mind: the street was expecting 3.2 billion in free cash flow. They did 441 million, and when you take out the 521 million of regulatory credits. Their, their free cash flow was negative 80 million. The first time we've seen this since Q1 of 20 but, and the depths of COVID and, and 2019 when Elon Musk said they he, had bankruptcy but, problems. But you I know think what? There may be even a capital raise coming On here, Twitter so. and LinkedIn, I, I posted the other day all the cars that are eligible for the full $7,500 tax credit, Gary. There's not many. Many of them are spectacularly expensive, but Tesla had two. I mean, it feels to me like the White House has given Elon Musk a gigantic gift by having two cars on that tax credit list. Look, it's huge. And where, where Gordon's wrong is Tesla is winning. Tesla had 36% volume growth in the first quarter. There's no other company, and, and the highest margins in the industry, there's no other company that could do that. Where Elon is, 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 is competing is against himself in the sense that they have in the past done 50% volume growth. They thought about ramping up production. And the only reason they're cutting price is because the the orders in the first quarter and the second quarter are not matching that 50% production growth. So, yeah, he could say they're losing, but 36% volume growth when the rest of the industry is flatter down is winning in my book. And, yeah, you know, Gary, what are you talking point, about? Their, their, their unit volumes are up 4% sequentially. What are you talking 36%, about? 
Gordon, year over year, 36%. Okay. Nobody uh, else. Well, why are you looking year over year? You can't compare to last year. That's the way investors think. This is a company that's, that's valued at 60 think, times Gordon. earnings where the industry trades at seven times. They should be growing sequentially. Their sequential growth, despite their prices dropping over 15%, their sequential growth in units was 4%. So you're not seeing Person, the elasticity the of, of demand. The I think you're cherry picking. What's Gary? the rest you're of the picking. industry sequential? Down 15. If you want to talk sequential, do apples to apples. Down 15 for the rest of the industry sequential versus Tesla up four. Okay, but people well, don't well, look Tesla, at that. Tesla, way. Tesla sells about years. a million cars a year. I'm sorry, Tesla sells about what? Um, one million cars a year, whereas when, the rest of the industry sells multiple more cars than them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay guys, guys, listen, it's a good debate. Gentlemen, it's a good debate. I want to ask you about something that just broke maybe two hours ago. It's, it's Musk-related, Gary. Okay, so Elon Musk on Twitter, which, by the way, he owns, said right. that he could take legal action against Microsoft after the company dropped Twitter from its ad platforms. Musk tweeting that Microsoft, quote, trained illegally, I guess he's talking about AI, using Twitter data or trained staff, whatever, and that it's, quote, lawsuit time. Gary, can I ask you about that? Because Musk now threatening to sue Microsoft. I I only bring this up because there does seem to be a correlation. Whenever we have sort of bad Musk Twitter news, it does seem to affect Tesla stock. Are you concerned about that at all? No, and I'm not going to go there. I, I, I think this whole thing about him suing Microsoft because they're now going to go off the Twitter ad platform. I think it's kind of silly, but I don't think it's to try to you know, obfuscate something going on with the earnings. The earnings were were not great from a gross margin standpoint, but I think everybody knew that was coming. I don't think this lawsuit has anything to do with that, if that's what you're suggesting. Well, I, I guess, Gordon, and we got to go, what I'm suggesting is Elon Musk, obviously one of the greatest businessmen ever. It's that he's got Tesla, he's got SpaceX, he's got um, the Boring Company, he's got Twitter, he's got like 10 kids. You just wonder mm-hmm. at what point does Elon Musk get stretched so thin and it distracts away from Tesla, which I is, which I mean, Tesla again, is the basis of everything. Is, this company is valued for hyper growth. They're trading at 60 times their annualized Q1 earnings when the auto industry trades at seven times. And both their EPS and their operating income decline both quarter over quarter and year over year. Listen, valuation matters. I think the stock is going to come under tremendous selling pressure. I think Gary focusing on year over year growth is clearly cherry picking when this company is valued at 60 times earnings. And the fact that they only grew units 4% sequentially okay. when prices were down 15% shows they're not seeing elasticity of demand. Elon Musk Can said he's willing to sell Can cars. Gary, very quickly, I'm, I'm going to get canned. Okay. Gary, okay. please, there very is, quickly. There is no mega cap company growing at 30% volume per year selling it 33 times, it's not 60, Gordon, 33 times next year's earnings. There's not a mega cap company in the universe with that type of price earnings to growth ratio except Tesla. Gentlemen, we have to go. Listen, the market, what did Buffett say? It's the weighing machine. Time will tell. Gary Black, Gordon Johnson, thank you both very much. All right. All right. We just getting going on this Wednesday last call. Up next, Tim Cook in India. But can he really break Apple's addiction to China? Plus, Is Ron DeSantis losing support and money in his increased fight with Disney, or is he really winning the PR battle? We'll take both sides. Coming up. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. 
thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back. It is time now for tomorrow's news tonight. And we have got a late-breaking story from the New York Times and our friend Kate Kelly. Democratic Congressman Jared Moskowitz of Florida reportedly cashing out on shares of Seacoast Banking Corp just days before the banking collapse. Right after he dumped those shares, Seacoast Banking fell nearly 20%. Kate Kelly, the aforementioned reporter who broke the story for us for the New York Times and joins us now. Let me guess, Kate. Uh, they're going to say that uh, just either good timing or it's a blind trust and somebody else did it for them or some combination of the above. Just wild speculation on my part. You're close to right, Brian. So the explanation here is this is a uh, brokerage account uh, of which Mr. Moskowitz's children are the beneficiary. Um, they had gotten this stock from um uh, the late grandfather, their late grandfather, Representative Moskowitz's father, and uh, essentially uh, the advice of the broker going into this financial trouble was that it would be a good idea to sell the, this stock or some of it and diversify. So that's what they did on March 10th, which happened to be the day that Silicon Valley Bank failed. Now, that weekend. No, what, that, uh, that's By the way, Kate Kelly, a separate note, could I have the number of that financial advisor, please? Because he or she is the world's greatest market timer. Well, to be fair, Brian, we knew that Silicon Valley was swirling down the you-know-what at that time, right? I mean, it was on the 9th. It, it was a couple of days prior, late that week of uh, kind of early March, that Peter Thiel and others in Silicon Valley were warning people that this bank was in trouble. It might be a good idea to take money out. So the problems were well-telegraphed, and it technically did fail on the 10th. So... To be fair to the congressman, there was a lot of context around it. But That's, the key is with these congressional stock trades. And the reason that 68 of voters polled late last year on this issue want to see a complete ban on congressional stock trading is members of Congress and the Senate are routinely, maybe not always, maybe not in every situation, but routinely privy to non-public, closely held information about their constituent companies, about national security matters, homeland security matters, about the economy. I mean, pick your issue, right? The pandemic, uh, that was an area where Richard Burr of North Carolina and others got into trouble for offloading uh, equities at a time when the market was poised to drop yeah. bigly. So this is the thing that exercises people, even if, in all fairness, there were valid reasons to do this that had nothing to do with congressional business at the time. It, it causes this appearance problem. And it, it is. And so to, to recap, and now I have no idea. Maybe, you know, I do not how long Representative Moskowitz had the shares. Sounds like he had shares of Seacoast a long time because grandpa gave them to him. So I'm assuming if I think that's right. I think it was grandpa a couple of years, them, Brian. And in fact, they owned a predecessor bank that was acquired. Okay, by Seacoast. So this family's had this stock forever. Mm hmm. They want to diversify for the children, which, by the way, all accounts ultimately are beneficiary to your children. If I die tomorrow, my kids 
and my wife would get would get them. So it's kind of a weird thing to say. But you got it. I mean, even if it was just, yeah, OK, there's we smell something to your point. The optics for the trust in Congress, even if it was just pure luck or brains, the optics are terrible. Yeah, the optics are tough. And so you have a couple of things going on here. You have continued efforts on the part of certain members of Congress and the Senate to ban congressional stock trading. Part of the reason I did this story is there was a new bill unveiled just yesterday by Jeff Merkley and Sherrod Brown, Democrats in the Senate, that would effectively ban congressional stock trading. And although their support in the Senate, which is about 20 people strong, is all Democrats and independents, there's a House version that is co-sponsored by one Democrat and one Republican. The other thing is, uh, First Republic Bank, which, as our viewers know, have been on the ropes for has been on the ropes since this crisis and continues to have an uncertain future, uh, was a stock that a number of members and senators sold during this period of time. Again, a bipartisan group, but it was it was Representative Dan Goldman of New York. It was Representative Ro Khanna of California. In those cases, for context, uh, these are trusts managed by third parties. And in Khanna's case, again, it's like Moskowitz. It's children and a spouse who are beneficiaries of these trusts. And Khanna yeah. has nothing that, to do with it. But still, you still. see the trend. And John Curtis of Utah is the third. You know, Kate, you, you used to work here at CNBC. I, I think I still work here at CNBC. You know, we can't own stocks. My wife can't own stocks. We cannot own. I own one stock, Comcast, through our employee plan. If financial journalists cannot own stocks, I just don't understand why Congress can, if anything, shove them away for a few years until you quit. Wait a minute. Nobody quits Congress. They're in Congress for 80, 90 years and become super rich. Kate Kelly, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. What a story. All right. India is apparently the <clears throat> apple of Tim Cook's eye. Cook met with Prime Minister Modi in New Delhi today, reaffirming the company's commitment to, quote, growing and investing across the nation. Apple opened its first retail store in India just yesterday in Mumbai and its plans for a second opening tomorrow. But the big commitment to the country shouldn't come as much of a surprise. India boasts the fifth biggest economy in the world. Its GDP is now more than $3 trillion. Keep in mind, it was barely over $1 trillion only 15 years ago. And India expected to overtake China to become the world's most populous nation later this year. There is a lot of optimism around India, but can it really steal some critical manufacturing and supply chain work from communist China, which does it really cheaply? Let's talk about it with global markets reporter Seema Modi and tech correspondent Steve Kovac. Seema, I'll start with you. A lot of promise around India. I get it. But do they have any they're not going to be near China, but are they building out any kind of a, you know, sort of front to end manufacturing to supply chain base? Do they even have that many great deep water ports? That's a great point. They're certainly trying, but all these things take time. Here, listen, listen, Brian, India wants more companies to move there, especially if it means that they're taking market share away from China. But it doesn't want to see these U.S. companies coming in and taking business away from their domestic giants. What Prime Minister Modi has said is that if you want to come here, you have to invest in manufacturing, create those jobs, show us that 
you're serious about being a partner. Uh, and setting up a manufacturing facility, as we said, not only does it take time, but especially when you grow across different states across the country, they all operate very differently from handling land acquisition rights, labor laws, to accessing the power grid. Most states run that grid. And that's why so many companies like Walmart, for example, Disney have used big acquisitions as a way to gain market share in India. Walmart did the $16 billion deal to buy Flipkart, and now Flipkart is in the top two in e-commerce. And then there's Disney with a $71 billion deal for Fox. They now have inherited Star India, and guess what? That is the undisputed leader mm. in sports media. Yeah, you know, Steve, those are a big difference. It's great they're opening up a store here and a store there, but a store is very different than saying, hey, Foxconn of China, we're going to take away 25% of your manufacturing capacity and move it to, say, you know, Kolkata. Yeah, and that's right, Brian. And clearly Tim Cook sees something that he did not see in India seven years ago when he made his first visit there as Apple CEO. We didn't see this kind of big hoopla, uh, week-long tour, you know, cheering, opening up stores and so forth. There, there was no store. The only way you could buy Apple products in the country was either from Apple.com or a list of just tons of these resellers who either sell refurbished uh, devices or they get devices straight from Apple. But look, it's just too expensive up until now, basically, for many Indians to be able to afford Apple products. Can you guess what Apple's phone market share is in India, Brian? No. 4%. 4%? 4%. And that's because... That's not a lot of percent. That is not a lot of percent. So they, they see an opportunity here. You just mentioned the population increase. A lot of those people are young. A lot of those people want to buy these Apple devices. We saw one man at the opening of the Mumbai store uh, yesterday yeah. bring an old Mac computer up to Tim Cook. He was so excited to make a to trade. Be there. Exactly. But he okay, wanted to make a trade it in. Listen, but he was so excited nice. to be there. Look, at that. I think that's a Lisa. That's nice. But Seema, very quickly, I mean, how many people can afford iPhones in India? It's got to be like a year's well, salary for a lot of people. Well, the economy is certainly growing. You're, no, you're, it's a great point. The middle class is growing, and that's why I think in order for Apple to be successful there, it very much will come down to price point, uh, to Steve's point, and also convincing the all the citizens who have Android operating phones. Listen, 95% of smartphones in India are Android phones, many of which are Chinese companies, uh, Chinese smartphones. So it's going to take a lot of work to convince customers there that they should switch to Apple. And I know Tim Cook did meet with some Bollywood stars, so perhaps some of that star appeal will work to his favor. Seema, Steve, thank you very much. Thank Good you. combo. All right, still ahead. Support slipping for Ron DeSantis as his debacle with Disney may be backfiring. Will Wall Street leave DeSantis or is Disney just a distraction and he's doing just fine? We'll talk about it next. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back. The power play at the House of Mouse. The Ron DeSantis handpicked board voting today to give itself, quote, superior authority over Disney. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but the move comes as the fight between Disney and DeSantis just keeps escalating. A lawyer for the Disney board firing off at the meeting today. Listen to this. 
The bottom line is that Disney engaged in a caper worthy of Scrooge McDuck to try to evade Florida law. Its efforts are illegal, and they will not stand. Was Scrooge McDuck known for capers? Anyway, it isn't all good news for Governor DeSantis. A number of major Republican donors are reportedly backing off, backing the governor, in part because they may be unhappy with his war against Disney. One of those major names, billionaire Interactive Brokers founder and big-time GOP donor Thomas Petterfee, telling the Financial Times recently, quote, because of his stance on abortion and book banning, myself and a bunch of friends are holding our powder dry, meaning money. Let's talk about it with Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci and founder of the pro-DeSantis Never Back Down PAC, Ken Cuccinelli. Ken, first to you, uh, what exactly is Governor DeSantis doing? He had so much momentum, and it feels like this Disney thing is... is beneath him in a way? Well, look, Disney had a unique special arrangement in Florida. No company gets these kinds of perks. Um, And Disney started weighing in on the governor's efforts to protect children and preserve to parents their rights over their own children. And at that point, the governor rightly questioned their unique status and the special perks they get and started undoing them. And he's following through on that. And frankly, Republicans in Florida uh, and across the country appreciate seeing a fighter take it back to these woke corporations and retain control over our children for their parents. That's what began this whole fight. And he's fighting against the special benefits that Disney gets in Florida. Um, It's perfectly reasonable to bring them back in. And that that's what he's doing. And he's following through. This is the third round of this fight, as I would count it. Others might count it differently. And it's a great show of follow through yeah. from a fighter who has been winning his fights and retaining voters through that path, through that path, including, by the way, independents and Democrats, as we saw in his massive reelect last November. I, I get it. I, I, Anthony, I do. You know, listen, we're not talking about, you know, a cigarette company here or, you know, some we're talking about Disney. And I just yeah. uh, the, the initial salvo fine. But I just wonder if this might be a little step too far. I mean, Thomas oh, well. Petterfee basically said it. Well, listen, this is way off the Republican playbook with all due respect to everybody in the debate. L- number one, they got Jack Kemp like Enterprise Zone in the 1960s to recreate the middle of Florida, and it was resoundingly successful for Florida. Number two, it's the largest employer in the state. This is a Republican governor who's supposed to be pro-business going after the largest business in the state. Number three, let's play it the other way. Suppose this was a Democratic governor pushing wokeness on a corporation. The Republican right the radical Republican right would be going crazy over that. So this is absolutely the wrong thing for DeSantis to be doing. Uh, I don't like the woke culture, but let's beat the woke culture from the inside. You get shareholders in there and board members that change the culture, and you get consumers to back away from the company to send them the message. When you do this from the government, it is a very slippery slope. And libertarians or supposed conservatives like Ron DeSantis know better. And this is a disaster for the Republican Party. And it's sending us on a government-like control over business, which is a sign of proto-fascism, Brian. And I don't like it at all. It's bad leadership for the Republicans. And we need to go in a different direction and have a much better, more clarifying, more colorful message 
That's way more yeah. inclusive for all Americans. Does uh, Ken, does, does Anthony have a point? You know, this, the fight just seems like you're, you're getting a little bit, you know, governmenty with the private markets. The, the rhetoric of the radical left instead of rational arguments. And, and Disney has the most Wait, hold incredible. Hold on a he just said I'm the radical left? No, he didn't say that, right? You're not, well, you're not you, saying that so, I'm the radical left. I'm a, I'm a lifelong Republican, just like you. I'm not, I'm not the member of the radical left interrupt you. But he's taking this fight all the way through to take away special perks. And um, I don't I don't think there's anything unconservative about getting all businesses back on the same playing field. That's what's happening here. And I don't see why anybody would have an objection to that. Jack, Jack Kemp would be horrified by what you're saying. The, the notion of creating free enterprise zones is a Republican concept that got done in the middle of Florida and transformed Florida. Governor DeSantis will continue being a fighter for free markets and a winner, just as he has for the last four and a half years. But Ken, That's do, where this Ken, is do, you, do you worry, though, if Thomas Petterfee, who is, you know, he's an immigrant, the guy came with nothing. He's now a billionaire. He's one of the greatest success stories and probably greatest lovers of America I've, I've ever met. If he's wavering, do you kind of sit up and take notice? Well, I, I take notice of everything going on. We're trying to do everything we can to encourage the governor to get in this race and then to win it. So, yes, I take notice. But what I also take notice of and ordinary voters, and it's the votes that ultimately matter, care about the fact that this governor isn't backing down to Disney or a billionaire who might have considered or may in the future consider donating to support him. That isn't how he makes decisions. That isn't how he makes decisions. You can look at some other people in this presidential race already who have financial um, you know, interests with Disney that perhaps are why they make these their decisions. That The governor is on the right side yeah. of this fight. Sad that this fight has to take place. And to Anthony's earlier point about, you know, if, if a woke governor was doing this to corporations, I got news for you. It is the wokeness yeah. that's pushing. And I would point out the governor's also leading the ESG. Very, 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 very quickly, Ooch, Anthony. You'd be random, upset, man. Random question. Random question. Okay. Random question, go Anthony. Ahead. I got asked today. Nobody cares. Somebody asked me today, who do you think uh, could be a dark horse candidate or even a winner in the 2024 election? I said Mitt Romney. Is that possible? Huh. Well, you know, I, I don't think so. I was I was with the governor uh, last October in Park City. I I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to see somebody like Charlie Baker, but. He's already moved on to the NCAA, which is a great job for him. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis is actually a very effective governor, but he's wrong on the messaging here. He needs to pull the Republican Party into the future, come up with entrepreneurial, creative political ideas, and make it look like the wonderful, okay. colorful mosaic of the American people. This is going to be a disaster for him. He will not make it through the primaries because of it. And the headline will be, the, it was the mouse that killed Governor Ron DeSantis. Well, we'll see if uh, if this will affect it. I don't know, even if that many Americans are paying attention, we are, but we'll see. Ken, Anthony, thank you very much. Good. All right, on deck, we are talking money and what is quietly happening under the hood of the stock market. It's your RBI, and it's next. All right, time for today's RBI, and today let's focus squarely on your money and the stock market, because while the big S&P 500 index has had a pretty good start to this year, over two years, you've basically made nothing. 
Deutsche Bank pointed this out. I didn't even think about it. Looking at the S&P 500 over two years, you'll notice that we are basically back to where we were just 24 months ago. In fact, two years ago, the S&P 500 closed at 4,163. Today, it closed nine points below that. In other words, zero return over two years, at least from price appreciation with maybe a couple of coins thrown in and accounting for dividends. But inflation even makes that worse. Deutsche Bank notes that considering consumer prices have soared in the same time, this is, in their words, not ours, quote, a substantial negative real return for stocks over two years. Deutsche Bank worries that we could be in a period like we were from 1968 to 1980, where inflation was out of control and the stock market did zilch over 11 years. Let's hope not. And also hope that inflation will start to really cool off soon and we can get some market mojo back. But let's leave this RBI on a positive note, a sully side up. Do you know what the average yearly real return for the S&P 500 is going back 100 years? A little bit of a trick question because real return also factors in inflation as opposed to nominal. The answer, a gain of 7.2% per year for the S&P 500. So basically, your money should double even with inflation every nine years and even faster if you reinvested your dividends. There you go. The market usually will double every seven or eight years if you do that. And that, my friends, is why you see so many boomers buying big boats and second homes. The stock market, maybe not the last two years, but over the long haul, is still the best way to get rich long term. All right, let's stay on stocks and talk about this and maybe international opportunities. One of the world's most well-known investors, Mark Mobius, the founder of Mobius Capital Partners. Mark, great to have you back on. U.S. stock market hasn't done anything in two years. Where is a better place anywhere in the world to invest right now? Well, I was really happy to see that you've been talking about India uh, previously. And uh, India is really a very exciting place uh, to invest in emerging markets right now. But uh, the good news also is that China is coming back. You were seeing the Chinese market now recovering. No, China has underperformed and done very badly in the last few years. Now it's coming back. So people are getting more interested in emerging markets because China weighs so heavily in the emerging markets index. They're about 30% of the index. So uh, I would say people have to look at China, most definitely India, uh, and then further afield, Mexico. Mexico has been really doing like gangbusters. Can we, can we trust uh, China? Very, very well. Mark, can we trust China? Can we give China our money and feel good about it? Uh, I think you have to be very, very conservative. You have to be very careful. We like to go through Hong Kong, Hong Kong stocks um, that have access to China. But more importantly, Taiwan is the place to be to access China because Taiwan has incredible trade with China. Of course, uh, the, the possibility of some kind of military action by the Chinese against Taiwan is always there, but it's not going to be imminent. So I think Taiwan would be the place to be. Do you think that could happen, though, military conflict? I mean, you've been in the region a billion times. Uh, it could happen, but not now. Not Definitely not now. And uh, must remember, China is also changing. Uh, as China gets richer and richer, it'll be mm -hmm. more and more difficult to have an autocratic regime operate without the will of the people. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Let, let's hope. 
They did just lock people down for three years, but let's hope you are right. Mark Mobius, a real pleasure to see you at night. Mark, thank you very much. All right, now let's lighten it up a bit, shall we, and head to quicker than the ticker. All the news that we care about in the world of money and how you might be able to get paid by Facebook. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock and go. An update on the segment we did Tuesday on that AI-generated song featuring The Weeknd and Drake that went viral. Yes, that one. Well, the song has been taken down by multiple streaming platforms after receiving complaints from Universal Music Group. Again, the artists were not at all involved in the making of the song. By the way, our story on that also blew up the internet with about 800,000 views on TikTok. Dominion winning big yesterday in the historic $787 million settlement with Fox, but a relatively unknown Wall Street firm, Staple Street Capital, is the real big winner. It bought control of Dominion just five years ago for under $40 million. The co-founder was on Squawk this morning. We're able to accomplish our goals of uh, exposing the truth. that The settlement amount um, made sense to us. If you were a Facebook user between May 2007 and December of last year, listen up. You have until August 25th to claim an undisclosed portion of a $725 million class action settlement. Oh, over already. All right, there you go. Coming up, why have so many big companies missed out on the AI craze and can they catch up? We'll talk about it with Matt Higgins next. All right, welcome back. It's time now for a quick last call watch list and some good news in banking. Yes, good news in banking. Western Alliance Bank Corp stock absolutely soared today. The Phoenix-based bank posted results investors loved and maybe helped bring a sigh of relief to the whole financial sector. Fears of depositors fleeing in the wake of SVB's collapse appear to be waning. Also, we're keeping a close eye on IBM. Earnings there, pretty solid. Shares of IBM actually up after hours. IBM seeing some relief as costs went down which helped grow the company's margins. That's a good thing. All right, IBM once appeared to be the leader in early AI. You remember back in 2011, 12 years ago, when IBM's supercomputer Watson won Jeopardy. Well, now companies like NVIDIA and Microsoft are dominating the AI conversation, while IBM at least appears to be falling behind. IBM is down nearly 11% in the last five years. Microsoft stock up 200 so what tech companies missing the mark on AI, which are capitalizing, and how do you fix it? Joining us now to add some color to an AI investment story is RSE Ventures co-founder and CEO Matt Higgins. He is an AI VC investor. You might know him from Shark Tank and about 100 other businesses. Um, is IBM just maybe being sneaky here, Matt, or you think they really did miss it? Well, if they're being sneaky, they're doing a really convincing job of it. I, I think IBM is like Kodak in 1975, right? They they had the digital camera in the building, and they're like, no, no, thanks. We got the Polaroid. IBM did the same thing with Watson. Talent fled the building, and I think they're uh, at a pretty big disadvantage, uh, uh, but is what it is. I mean, other companies, though, sneaky plays that I'm really following are actually Meta. Uh, Meta is doing a lot of incredible, breathtaking work around AI. It's not getting a lot of attention, but... Any company that has huge data sets is positioned to win the, the AI race. What, what is what is Met Facebook? I, I still can't call them meta. What, what is Facebook doing right? I know it's hard for me. I have to always have to That's check easy. myself. What they're doing right is they're using their advantage, which is they have they have years and years and years of data around images. They're leaning heavy into that. They just launched something called Dino V2. Hard to explain in 10 seconds, but take a look at it. It's enabling you to process images in all sorts of incredible ways. It's also using AI to help 
advertisers, right? There was a period in which Facebook was being left behind in direct-to-consumer. That has completely changed. Their uh, tool called Advantage Plus enables you to go on and say, do my ad campaign for me. Now they're working on another tool that says, do my creative for me and make it work. So uh, pay attention to what Meta's doing. It's a sneaky play. Yeah, you saw Google CEO Sundar Pichai on 60 Minutes. I mean, basically sounding out a bit of a, a warning. I mean, where does this go in five years? Blade Runner type stuff? Honest, I would be suspicious of any CEO who has a large data set saying, we got to be really careful. They're just upset because they also missed out like Kodak. You know, they had uh, they had Tresser in the building in 2017. They had an advantage. They also let their talent leave the building. And now they're breathlessly trying to uh, catch up. So kind of yeah. like Elon Musk also signing a letter one week saying we need to hit pause next week. Like, ah, just I, kidding, I, you got, I was talking to somebody the other day and I mean, I'm going to be a little bit, you know, sort of listen, I'm on TV so I can just kind of exaggerate, <laughs> which is I, I could see AI crushing Google, right? As opposed to like searching around on Google Maps or Googling something, you're just like, hey, whatever, GPT, what are the five best restaurants near me right now? I want everyone to skip a, skip an evening of Netflix. After we're done, go on to Agent GPT and ask Agent GPT to do any problem that you have right now in your life, personal, professional. Watch what it's going to do. When you finish doing that, you're going to say, Google is in real trouble. Ten years right now, we might be saying, remember MySpace, that thing called Google? I'm not saying it's that bad, but they're in trouble. Wow. Matt Higgins, big combo. It's going to look a lot different in a few years. Matt, thanks. All right. Speaking of AI, we've got an awesome and kind of terrifying programming note. We're going to premiere a brand new segment called Deep Fake Friday, where we will speak with an, well, on Friday, I'm going to actually interview an AI version of myself. That is the picture, one of the two, that a computer generated based on other photographs of me. I do not look, I wish I looked like that. That guy's handsome. Look at that. Our friends at Forever Voices are building a faux Brian as we speak, who's better than the real Brian. So we're asking you, what should I ask myself? Scan this QR code and tweet at us. You might just use your question. Go back to that guy. He's dreamy. All right, coming up. South, oh, yeah. South Florida is in day six of a fuel crisis that may actually be fueled by you. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Some frustrated residents in South Florida can't seem to find gas. Some areas of the state are now on day six facing fuel supply issues. Shortages happening after storms last week brought massive downpours that caused delays in deliveries of gas. And the consumer is now feeling the pain at the pump. Over 56% of gas stations in Miami do not currently have fuel, along with over 30% of stations in West Palm Beach. How much longer will this go on for South Florida residents? Joining us now is Broward County Mayor Lamar Fisher, Mayor Fisher, thanks for joining us. Is this in some ways sort of self-caused? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I better fill up because everyone else is filling up even though I don't need the gas. I think it's human nature. When a crisis happens like this, they just feel that they have to go into gas stations and fill up, which in the case of a hurricane, it might be an opportunity because you might be traveling out of the state. But it's a scenario here, if you're not going anywhere, uh, gas is going to get there. So please don't be... uh, rushing too much to the polls right now, too much to the gas stations, because gas is coming as quick as we can get it there. What are you, I, listen, you guys had rec- record rain. In your defense, record, I think it was t- almost two feet of rain in, in a day. That It's going to happen, something's going to happen. What, you're speaking now to your people, what can you tell them? When is relief coming? I can tell you that as of today, nine of our 12 terminals at Port Everglades are now open and operating. That means that the gasoline is getting to the racks so the tankers can fill up. And I'm also 
uh, reporting today that we don't have any more backlog of the tankers. They are all out in the streets delivering gasoline to the stations. Those those particular uh, terminals, Brian, are owned and operated privately with the oil companies. So the Port Everglades doesn't control those. But we went about 36 hours of non-deliveries. And so we're just now catching up, or those companies are not catching up, once they get fuel back into the tankers and get them delivered. Yeah, uh, I know some electric car folks are crowing, although I think we showed a Tesla underwater, which that, as we know, probably renders said car uh, obsolete. Lamar Fisher, Mayor, appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, let's go back in time. 41 years ago today, NASA picked Sally Ride to break the very highest glass ceiling, becoming the first American woman to travel into space. It almost did not happen. Sally Ride had earlier tried to become a professional tennis player, but in 1977, she answered a newspaper ad when they had those from NASA, calling for young tech-savvy scientists who could work as mission specialists. A year later, NASA hired her out of the 3,000 applicants. On June 18, 1983, Ride made history when she blasted off on the Space Shuttle Challenger. And in November 2013, more than a year after Sally Ride passed away, President Obama posthumously awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That is the highest civilian award in the United States. So congratulations posthumously to her family. Certainly, a, uh, I would say a, a ground setter, but if you're an astronaut, you're like an all-time space traveling, just global space setter. Pretty amazing. Space Shuttle. Remember that, too? All right, folks, thanks for watching Last Call. We're going to see you tomorrow night as well. Take care. See you tomorrow. Shark Tank is next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.